Welcome back to the Sign of Good Health podcast. Today we're talking with Ben the Baker Newman. So he's a now retired MMA fighter and a professional baker, and he's also into Olympic weightlifting. So we're going to talk about all that and see if we can figure out some useful stuff for the, the viewers or listeners. <laughs> so um, Ben, you started, you trained at the Warriors Cove. Um, do you have like a, did you end up getting the BJJ black belt or just the Shimbudo one? I did. Yep. Yep. So I received my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And I think well, I want to say it was maybe February or March uh, of this year. Um, so I've been training for about 14 years at that time. Um, and most of that time I was training five, six days a week, a couple times a day. So, yeah. And, uh, I was going to tell you the story too. Like I remember my first day at the Warriors Cove, uh, you were on the, the far side of the gym and you had this super intense no-gi rolling with this guy and I just remember seeing the intensity of that and you had like a reverse inverted triangle on the guy's head sounds about right (laughs) and I just remember the intensity of that was very inspiring to me Uh, (laughs) I mean I don't know how much of a role it played with you know because jujitsu the very the first however many months or whatever can be very intimidating and you're just getting your butt kicked over and over but yep um, that, that was definitely, a uh, you know, a log in the fire, however you want to do it. <laughs> so, That's cool. Um, yeah, Ben was not my primary instructor at the Warriors Cove when I was there, but he was one of the instructors. He was more in the yeah. St. Paul side. So, yeah. Um, so I interviewed Jesse and he was a more, my primary. Oh, sure. Yeah. Earlier, so. yeah. Uh, so when you were doing MMA fights, uh, can you talk about the training you did? Not, not, nothing against the Warriors Cove. I loved it. I trained there, but you also did like boxing and whatever else. Can you touch on yeah. that? Yeah. So that was earlier in my career. Um, my dad's neighbor, actually, the gentleman that lives across the road from us uh, in Wisconsin, um, he was a boxing coach uh, for many years. And um, he was a super nice guy, real strong Christian uh, as well. And we got along real well. But I was hitting mitts in his basement for, um, for quite a while, maybe a year, year and a half. And, and then he bought it anytime fitness and I would work with him there and that kind of thing. Um, so maybe it was maybe two years or so of, of hitting mitts and working with him. Um, and it helped, you know, I think it, you know, it helped me get more comfortable, uh, punching, even though I, I still don't punch a bunch of my fights, but it made me get more comfortable with the, the form and, you know, helps with the cardio and it was enjoyable because he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main reason I eventually stopped is, the interesting thing about MMA is there's so many aspects, the physical conditioning and the different martial arts themselves and what your strategy is going to be. And you don't have unlimited time or energy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I, even if I'm only training with him three nights a week, you know, if I'm only having, you know, 10 sessions a week and three of them are in boxing, but my goal is to be an expert grappler, how much is that pulling me away from my grappling? Mm-hmm. And so I, I felt like I stuck with it until I felt I was getting comfortable. Um, and one of the main things that, that I stopped was I had a fight, maybe it was my second or third fight. And one of the things we're working on in boxing is you kind of throw this jab and a slight step back when they throw the jab back at you and then you step back in and throw your cross. Mm-hmm. And it's just basic stuff. Um, but just that habit of leaning back a little and coming back in. I did that in my fight. The guy threw, came out with a punch, became in more aggressive with multiple punches. And I leaned back. And as I was leaning back, he just came right in and finished a takedown on me. And I was like, oh, no, I, I realized I'm drilling some things that unless I'm really good at flipping the switch, yeah. I'm drilling yeah. habits that work well in boxing and be, can be very bad for you in MMA. 
And then I was thinking, how am I going to get to this expert level where I can flip that switch perfectly or smoothly? Or should I focus more on my takedowns, my jujitsu, where my expertise I was hoping to be in? Um, so that was kind of the main reason I, I stopped doing as, as much of that. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely a challenge about just finding coaches that know how to focus on, even if it is boxing, like making it a how will it blend? MMA. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, like, that, I was just okay, going to say Muay Thai is a more upright uh, kickboxing style, but you know, if we're incorporating takedowns and stuff like that, that's pretty easy to get knocked over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of factors there. And then, you know, how many hours are you training? If this is a, if you're a full-time at the time, you know, I was full-time in college and teaching on the side and uh, in the national guard. So I'm juggling all of these things and, you know, training every night, you know, morning before I go in and then in the evening. And it's like, if I had unlimited time, I would, I would do, you know, boxing or Muay Thai or whatever, five days a week and jujitsu five days a week and lifting, but there's only so much time. So I, I kind of cut that out eventually. Right. Um, can you touch on a little more, just how do you balance um, when you, when you were teaching at the Warriors Cove plus your bakery and then your own training and you're married? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, well, everything was definitely easier when life was simpler and more one-dimensional when I was just a college kid right? Much easier to focus and so much mental and physical energy was on fighting and getting better. Um, and then, yeah, once I started to, once I got married, well then, yeah, I'll want to dedicate a certain amount of time, of course, to growing our relationship and being there for my wife. And, and she was working nights. A lot of times it was, it was kind of good that I could be training or wrapping up teaching while she was at work. But if I'm going to stick around and do extra after hours jujitsu, well, maybe she's home at 9.30. And she's waiting for me to get home till 11. And then mm -hmm. we only see each other for 20 minutes before we go to bed. So that's not sustainable long, long term. So I find myself training not at, as our marriage went on. And I found myself training not every night because I'd feel bad, you know, <laughs> that I'm not, I'm not seeing her. Um, so I try and make my training sessions happen at different times. But I probably wasn't training quite as much as when I was young. You know, I know that's, that's for sure. Um, and I was juggling out, I, I would always try to year round for the most part, always be doing my lifting or strength conditioning three days a week. Just, I was usually very consistent with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, when I started to add in the bakery, that was another component. And so I started real slow with my bakery where I basically would just hit it real hard for the holidays. So start making pies in October through December, because that's where a lot of the, most of the pie sales would be, uh, when I was new and just. I would just really not train for those three months, not train much at all. So I would teach during the day and then just bake from like 10 PM until 4 AM and then sleep and then teach and just not train for three months uh, for a while there. So I really couldn't balance them all successfully. I had to pick and choose when to do one or the other. For sure. Yeah. And I know for me, post-college, like right at the end of college is when I, I realized I was like super skinny and under muscled and I got kind of hooked into weightlifting and strength yeah. building and that definitely tempered how much I was going to train MMA. Yeah. Um, and I remember just, there's, I remember getting annoyed at myself. It's like, why am I paying an MMA membership and barely using it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like you're saying, like you have limited energy yep. and time and like I was also doing online dating and just, you know, <laughs> Um, more stress there <laughs> yeah um, so can can you touch on just how has your training evolved over the years since you've, you've been doing it for 
I think you said since you were 13 in some interview I found online. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I, I kind of got into, we didn't get into the martial arts side of things until I was in, um, right before I went to Iraq was when I did my, my first intro class at the Warriors Cove. So that was 2005. I did one month of classes at the Warriors Cove before I went to uh, Iraq. And then maybe halfway through our tour, I found a couple of guys that we would, we would grapple and box a couple of days a week, but we were like watching YouTube videos and then trying <laughs> to do it to each other. And then that's when I started doing, getting a little bit more into fitness and health and diet and lifting was overseas there. So when I came back home in 2007, um, that's when, okay, now I'm, I'm in this lifestyle of eating very healthy, working out, you know, every single day, usually twice a day between lifting and jujitsu and boxing. And that's, that's when I was really focusing on that part a lot. Um, but at that time, my lifting, you know, I didn't have any guidance from anyone really. So I'm, just subscribing to, you know, men's health at the time yeah. and going to bodybuilder.com to look up exercises and then watching the ultimate fighter and what are they doing for conditioning <laughs> and then like combining what I felt. Um, and what I always focus on, I was trying to build strength, but I was kind of scared to do heavy, heavy weights. Cause I'm like, I don't know if my form's good. Am I going to injure myself? Mm-hmm. So I would never do, I would never do anything really below 10 reps just cause I was, I didn't trust myself. So everything was in the 10 to 15 rep range. And usually it was high intensity. So it's similar to maybe what CrossFit is now a lot of times where it's high rep, high pace circuits. And that's what I was designing for myself in the gym. And so I always had great cardio. I felt that was my only main physical uh, benefit against my opponents was that it was almost a guarantee that they would get tired before me. Right. Uh, usually oftentimes they would be stronger, more explosive, but if I could, make the fight go longer they would get more tired than i would get i would still get tired but not as tired as them so i was always doing that circuit type of training that was the first three four years of my training and then i started and then uh i started going at stronger opponents like man i would really like to have more strength or explosiveness and that's when i started training with matt miller at horsepower and so they're okay now i've got someone to watch me and make sure i'm not screwing it up completely and then he was you know, his main cycle was a week of five reps and then a week of three reps and then a week trying to hit your single rep max. And on mainly hand cleans, squats, some jerks, some snatch. And then we would do a conditioning portion at the end, sled work, circuits with pull-ups and tire flips and that kind of thing. And so then within less than a year, I felt very different strength-wise. The only lift I got to an okay number for a beginner was my deadlift. I was a little over twice body weight. I could deadlift, mm-hmm. which I just felt the grip strength for jiu-jitsu was huge. Doing, you know, hook grip or alternate uh, alternate grip on deadlift is the same as when you gable grip uh, a person. It's the exact same grip. And I felt like my grip strength was just 10 times what it was. And once I got a hold of someone, now I could drag them to the ground, whereas before <laughs> they would break my grip or I would lose, I couldn't finish the takedowns. So mm-hmm. that helped a lot was getting into more strength and power work. And I did that for the vast majority of all my training through my career. And now I'm just trying to focus more on the technical aspects of Olympic lifting because we were doing modified versions, a lot of times from the hang position, not when we weren't catching at full depth, we were catching in the power position, you know, above parallel. Um, So I didn't really have any strength developed below parallel. And now I'm getting really comfortable with my hips being at full depth and it's trying to feel stronger there. Yeah, um, it so- sounds like that the, um, you know, doing the, let's just say the hang clean 
and focusing on that. It, it sounds like he was really good at focusing the training for athletic performance. Yes. Instead that, of specifically yes. for Olympic weightlifting. So yep, that, it was just a tool for him. And, and, you know, his, his concept, as he explained to me, was like, he's like, you know, when in your athletic endeavors, are you going to be at that deep squat position where you really need to generate power from there? He's mm -hmm. like, you know, very rarely will you be below parallel where you're generating force. So let's just focus all our energy on the above parallel. Um, so, you know, made enough sense to me at the time and, and, yeah. uh, and I, I felt like I improved a lot. So, yeah, on a, it's definitely a, you know, what, what's your goal or what's your focus? Cause if you want to get better at Olympic weightlifting than doing the full depth and everything, yeah, you're uh, obviously going to need sense. that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Can you talk about like, what is the appeal of Olympic weightlifting for you? One of the, sure. Well, one of the main things is that I, it, it's like the ultimate, it's, it seems to be like the ultimate expression of explosive power. And that's probably the aspect of my body type that I'm the worst at of anything. If, if, if there's anything that I tend towards, I would be maybe an ultra marathoner or <laughs> like if I were to, what sport could I actually excel at? It would not be MMA for body type wise. Just for me, it would, it would probably be like long distance running or something like that, mm -hmm. but I have no interest in that. Um, so I'm like, okay, what, what am I not good at? The explosive aspect. So I can probably improve there a lot, even though I'm sure my progress is much slower than people that have natural, you know, gifts in that area. But also in the back of my head, I would probably like to fight again if, if I can make it work time-wise and schedule-wise um, before I'm too old. And if I focus on Olympic lifting, I think that explosiveness will translate a lot, especially to the striking. You know, it's not as important in the grappling, I don't feel. But in striking, that explosiveness is very important on your feet. Uh, maybe takedowns for the grappling, but um, I, I think it'll transfer well if I get better at it. Uh, and then the other thing I really enjoy about it is now that I'm mainly just doing that, I can be very consistent with it. You know, every morning, wake up 6 a.m., uh, hit the same type of sequence every week and modify it if I need to. But my numbers are much more consistent, whereas when I was doing MMA, as majority of my training time, if I'm going to grapple for two hours and do sparring rounds, and the next day I have horsepower in the morning, my lifts might be 20 pounds less than last week. Right. And it's really right. frustrating when you feel like you're weaker than before. And you know, you're not, you're just tired and you're not recovered from grappling, but it's, it's less frustrating now to be able to be consistent and to have my form feel like it's getting better. So it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy and I love spreadsheets. And so I have everything <laughs> graphed out and I have charts showing how my weights go up a little bit and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's enjoyable for me too. Yeah, and my wife is uh, very big on the spreadsheets, color coding everything. So uh, it's not my thing, but I I, <laughs> I get to hear about it. So. <laughs> and my wife's my wife's in your boat. She yeah. could care less, but she's glad I find enjoyment. Yeah. Um, so, and I, let's see. I'm also in the. Well, okay. I want to talk about the because it's interesting to me the the. Uh, let's just call it the affinity for like sport or style of training that matches your body type. And like, I know for my, like, you are, I think if I remember right, you weighed like 170 ish, but fought at 155 ish. Yeah. Yeah. So my first, well, half my fights, my first nine fights or so, I think maybe eight or nine fights were at 155 and I would walk around very skinny, low body fat at like 168 the week of the fight. 
And then I'd cut 13 pounds water way back in, be around 170 on fight day. And then the second half of my career, I would be walking around 182, 183, week of the fight, not be as skinny, <laughs> was not as skinny as when I was 185. And then, um, you know, fight 170, be back to 185 on fight day. Most people fight, most people weigh about a weight class above what they're fighting at. Yeah, that, that's uh, probably a topic for another day because that's just nuts to me. But also, I didn't do wrestling, so I didn't have to grow up learning weight cutting and all that. Yeah. Um, so it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, because like for myself, I started MMA and I weighed about 170. And then with the, the weightlifting and then also just still growing because I started when I was like 16, 17, somewhere in there. Sure. Yeah. And yeah just continuing to grow and like I shot up to like 180 ish and then gradually 190 ish um, <laughs> and just I remember just seeing and feeling the difference with grappling and it's like holy crap Alex is strong now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a yeah it's a different view used to oh the, against this size of guy this is what I can do and then after a few years or even a year or so of lifting the same size guy like it's yeah certain things are less of a struggle <laughs> Right. Well, and I, yeah, I definitely, I feel like for myself, the strength endurance style of training is really good. Like uh, maintaining a, a decent output for a few minutes, which is what MMA yep. is. Yep. Um, so like, I, I'm not a long distance cardio guy, <laughs> uh, but I'm also not a maximal strength guy. Like I, I really feel like I enjoy and thrive in the strength endurance uh, area. So yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm, I guess I think that's a combo of genetics and just what you grew up doing and, you know, yeah. what, what you like to do. But, you know, because I'm assuming people kind of gravitate towards what they're good at anyway. So. Yeah, I would think on average that'd be, that would be the majority of folks for sure. Right. Uh, so what would you say the current focus is for your training? Like, is it health or improving at Olympic weightlifting or something more specific like strength or flexibility or cardio? Um, I would say, yeah, the main, a big part of it is I, in my opinion, or just from what I've read and looked at, like, like these basic movements of full depth squat, like that's a life skill, like to be 80 years old, if you can still do a full depth squat, mm -hmm. like your quality of life is going to be infinitely higher than the average American who's obese by then. Right. right. And needs tips, like all these things. Like, so a big part of it is building these fundamentals. And I was like, oh man. I know as you get older, of course you can, you could start Olympic weightlifting at age 50 if you wanted to start real slow with supervision or whatever, and you could improve your numbers. But if I spend a couple of years now, maybe get my numbers to a decent level, hopefully I can just, you know, sustain and keep those numbers and they'll drop a little bit as I get to 50 or 70 or 80. But you see, you can see a video of this guy who's like 85 and he's throwing up, he's doing a snatch for 135. And it's like, that's awesome. You're 85 years old and you're snatching one, one thirty five. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, it'd be nice to get a good, strong base right now. And then instead of doing it six days a week for the rest of my life, I would like to keep doing limp lifting two to three days a week for the rest of my life. Like, that's what I would like to do. Um, so just trying to get fundamental skills and strength down now. A lot of it just for health and longevity, um, but also choosing it to help with my, um, jiu-jitsu and, and uh, MMA if I get back to competing, which I believe I will get back to competing. Um, if not MMA, which I think I, I would like to one or two fights, but 
even in my forties and fifties, I would like to compete in jiu-jitsu just for fun. Yeah. Um, when I'm, cause to compete at that level, you do not need the intensity that you do for MMA training um, as far as like time commitment and things. And, and you can just compete locally. Like it's not a big deal to do local tournaments. Yeah. So I could always just do local stuff. Not a problem. Yeah. You can definitely just go to those tournaments and not have, it doesn't need to be, you know, world stage, Abu yeah. Dhabi, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you, like that's definitely the, the training for longevity has been a big uh, thing. It's a, it important to me. Uh, it's definitely been the emphasis, like you're saying, like the being able to do a full depth squat um, and just like with, with our body types being on the taller, lankier side, like that's not easy. Um, I, I can do it, but I need to have either my arms or a, a dumbbell or something just to, so I don't fall backwards. Yep. <laughs> so, but I think it's a either calf or ankle mobility thing. Yeah. I think that's a lot of times what it comes down to for a lot of folks that ankle mobility is real difficult. Right. Um, so, but, so you're not like, cause you're 35, I just turned 29. So you're not old yet, but like <laughs> we, you hear about like, once you hit 30, you know, your metabolism crashes and everything goes to in the crapper. So, um, so I'm just going to ask you about like, since you've been consistently active for, we'll just say your teen adult life, uh, have you noticed any kind of slowdown or not so much since you've stayed consistently active or is there stuff you've done to kind of prevent that? No, it's like, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you listen to inter interviews for MA fighters, like no matter what, when they're interviewed, they almost always say, I'm in the best shape of my life. This is my best camp ever. Like they always say that. And half the time they're lying, but a lot of times they're being, you know, they're honest. Like I've like, my sprint times are better. My numbers are higher because it's a slow progression. Every fight camp, that's only three times a year, maybe. Yeah. If you look every four months, there should be a slight jump up in your numbers. And like, I had that all the way through, like I was always getting better in all aspects pretty much apart from injuries where I have setbacks, you know, um, but, uh, injuries I have, I can work around really well right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, my numbers now that I'm spending more time on Olympic lifting are better than when I was fighting, you know, for a title, you know, an organization or whatever, like my numbers are better than that. Now I'm not focusing on my cardio, so I'll get tired very fast, <laughs> but, um, I would, I don't, I have no reason to believe my cardio would be much slower if I were to focus on it for five months than right. it was before. But again, I don't know. I'm not trying to test my cardio at a high level right now. So that could, maybe my capacity is declining. I don't know in that aspect. The nice thing about getting older, a lot of times, just from what I've read, I mean, you look at some of the records for strength athletes and guys in their forties are can set world records. Like male strength doesn't necessarily drop off that early. Right. Uh, I don't think. Um, I was just saying it's a it's very much a use it or lose it thing or it's like if you're consistent yeah. and you don't take month-long layoffs and gain 40 yep. pounds it's like hey <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah so no I, I I feel great my my back's much healthier I, I my back's gone out two three times throughout my career my knees dislocated three times um and just building up strength around it the times when my knee would not dislocate was when I was being very consistent and good with my lifting in the mm -hmm. last few years, as I was a little less consistent with my training, not fighting as often, if I would take time off to focus on the bakery for three months, which would happen last year, and then, okay, let's get back right away to hard grappling and dislocate my knee, like, on the first week of training. Because, yeah. oh, yeah, all the strength around my knee is gone. I haven't lifted in three months. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's just 
you got to understand your injuries, work around it. In some ways, it forces you to be more disciplined because mm-hmm. you don't want it to happen again. Exactly. Yeah. And a phrase I, I don't remember where I read it, but it's a strong back doesn't get injured. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the quote. <laughs> that's yeah. <amazing. laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, no, I was like, is there a second? <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> it's, oh, it's true. Cause like, and I've, I've had this conversation on a bunch of different of the interviews. It's just like, I, I hate when I hear somebody's like, oh, I just bent over to tie my shoes and my back went out. And it's like, it's like, no, there was a, yeah, it was, it was probably going to happen that day, no matter what you did, because yeah. your back was on the way out or some so, muscles overly tight and it was going to spasm on you. And yeah. yeah. So um, can you tell, tell me about what have you found useful or not useful for MMA training? And then we'll do Olympic weightlifting next for the same question. Sure. For, you know, everyone's a little different, you know, especially with their body type and not just that, but how they choose to fight mm-hmm. in MMA. Like you, you have, if you're mainly a a striker only and you're avoiding the ground, that's very different muscle groups and, uh, type of athleticism than if you're mainly a grappler. So like, that's going to depend a bit, but for me and my style, what, what I was doing, what worked the best for me was a mix of small amounts of very intense cardio. Like we would do a lot of 200 yard sprints. We would do every minute on the minute you hit your 200 yard sprint. And at the beginning of the fight camp, you're doing 10 rounds of that. So 10 minutes of 200 yard sprints. And by the end of the fight camp, we work our way up to 18. So you're doing 18 minutes straight of sprint as hard as you can, catch your breath a little bit, sprint as hard as you can. And like building that up helps with that type of cardio. Near the last few years, I started to add in just, it really don't end up being about twice a week, one to two times a week of long distance, like recovery type runs, like an eight and a half minute pace um, running in the woods. And I would do six miles while well, I do that. A couple, and I felt like that gave me some kind of base level type of cardio, which I never used to do in the beginning of my career. I was, I, I never, I was always wondering like, wow, in a event that's three, five minute rounds, how would long distance running ever help you? Mm-hmm. But then you look at boxers, what do they do? They have more and shorter rounds than MMA. And they always were big into running. You look at Thai, what are they known for? Running distance. Like there's a good chance there's something to it. It could just be, everyone's coaches did they make them do it but there also could be some benefit and and i and i felt like it did help my cardio even even a bit more doing one to two weeks of that and um if you're doing a slower pace it doesn't take as much out of you as yeah as you would yeah. well and like uh for myself with the longer distance running my long distance is like three miles uh maybe like very rarely up to like an hour or so six miles or whatever yep but again, that's way different than the marathon type stuff where you're doing yeah, 10, yeah. 15, 20, whatever miles. Like that's, you, like, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, no matter what you're doing, you need a baseline of cardio mm-hmm. just so you're not exhausted going up the stairs. <laughs> yeah. And like, in some of the things, you know, for grappling, a lot of grappling is not just squeezing, but it's keeping tension in a muscle group for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and it could be an all-out squeeze but a lot of times it's just a 50 percent keeping attention in a muscle group to hold something in place on someone and yep. so like i started to add in more like band work of holding especially with, like my legs hooking my ankle into bands and then squeezing and holding for a certain amount of seconds and then doing reps with, with strength um and and adding some of that in just supplementary 
um, and that helped a bit. But I mean, majority of my training was the, at the time was horsepower style. So we're doing our Olympic lifts to start off and then we're doing, you know, different types of conditioning phases at the end. And then on my own, I would add in, of course, I would usually five days a week, maybe four near the end, four to five days a week of um, at least an hour of rounds of grappling and sparring at the end of the night after I was done teaching. Right. Um, so. so what have you found useful for the Olympic weightlifting or useful, not useful? Um, from right now, I feel like I get warmed up really well. I always start off, well, I, I feel loose and, and good the way I'm doing it right now is I always just start off with mile run. And usually it's like, right now it's like six and a half minute mile on the treadmill. Um, but yeah, not, not super great, not super crazy, but just a, a decent intensity. Yeah. Cause like, you know, on a treadmill, that's probably in reality, like a real world seven and a half minute mile or something, you know, <laughs> like treadmill so much easier. Um, but yeah, heart rate's going pretty good. And so I got my sweat going and then I just go right into my lifts, but I, for whatever lifts I'm doing that day, I have my spreadsheet set out. I always start off with five reps at 25%, which, you know, if I'm around the 200 range, it's just the bar. And then I'm going to start hitting three reps of everything. And I just go through 50%, 60, 70, 80, 90, 95, hundred. Uh, and that's, that's my cycle. Every single day on the different lifts, I'm just doing um, three rep sets and I give myself up to three minutes recovery time for most of them on my final, if I'm going for hundred percent, I'll give myself up to five minutes rest. I just have a, a chair. It's like a, an accordion's closed and I unaccordion out and I just whip that out and sit it down. <laughs> so I bring my own chair to the gym and uh, people look at me weird, but I'm not going to stand around for three minutes. <laughs> so I just sit there and listen to my music and wait and then hit my lifts. Um, but, but that feels really good right now is my main. Yeah, like that is something that I, I see other people like more like we'll just say the bro type of guy that's kind of like, come on, man, get psyched up, pop this way. And they're burning so much energy between lifts. And it's like, why? <laughs> yep. I mean, that's yeah. not who, who you or I are anyway. But yeah, still. yeah, that never worked well for me in athletic yeah. competition or anything. So mm -hmm. uh, this is just based off one of your MMA interviews. Uh, you talked about wanting to increase flexibility. Like what, what have you found to be actually helpful for that? Cause I remember seeing you do some foam rolling at the Cove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, that could have been around a time of an injury too. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, so I never, the, the most I ever put into it, I've had different phases where I put a lot of time and energy into it. And earlier this year was one of the phases where I put a lot of energy into stretching. And I, I kept it up for about two months straight and I was measuring, I started, uh, you know, if I remember back in uh, geometry, you know, you can calculate your angle of a triangle yeah. uh, if you have uh, the different lengths. And so I would start doing my standing splits and widen my feet and I'll do it on a measuring tape. And then I would build up to that, do sets of squeezing, relax, squeeze, relax, squeeze, yeah. relax, and get my depth as far as I could for that day. And I'd write down, I would measure the height from my groin to the floor and then the length between my feet. And I could calculate out all right, what degree of angle am I increasing? And I would spreadsheet it and I could see I was getting, you know, I was gaining an, you know, maybe an inch or so of width on my feet. And I'm gaining, you know, a degree or two, you know, per week as I'm increasing my flexibility. Um, but it's just so painful, so uncomfortable. Even when I'm just trying to relax, it's just it's not it's I'd rather get punched in the face than do stretching. And, and eventually it gets to the point where it's like, am I going to keep and you know, after two months of work of like an hour a day of just stretching, you know, I've really, I've only increased 
I can't remember what it was, 15 degrees. I was like, am I ever really going to get to the splits? Probably, maybe, but do I want to do this for a year to find out? And then I end up switching my mode. So uh, I found it was working, but uh, I don't know if I want it that much. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm glad that if I ever want to come back to it, I have a method that was working for me. I was getting some progress. And I found the front splits, I think I would, I'm much more inclined to that. My side split is much tighter for me. It's always been a lot yeah. tighter. Well, and from what I know about anatomy, your side split is a lot more limited by genetics with where your hip bones and your insertion are, whereas yeah. a lot more people are going to be able to have success in the front splits. Yeah, and also noticing over the years, especially trying to troubleshoot, like, you know, Mr. Arnebeck and at the club, real big on the side kicking, which is now finally getting more popular in MMA. Mm -hmm. um, and it was never really, it's never a good move for me. And, it, and I, I think I really diagnosed one of the main reasons it feels so uncomfortable for me to throw a side kick is my, my feet are naturally angled out very wide on my hips. Mm. So in order for me to throw a side kick, I have to pivot all the way fully to get my foot horizontal. My support leg has to pivot a lot. Whereas oh, yeah. if, you have, if your feet are not angled like this, if your feet are more normal, closer to parallel, you don't have to pivot as much. You can throw the kick much quicker and while feeling less tight in your hips. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's an excuse I make for myself, but when I compare students who are doing really well with a sidekick better than me within a few months, uh, as far as flexibility and feeling loose with it, maybe not necessarily their speed yet or targeting yeah. accuracy. But, and then I look at how the angle of their feet and they don't, they don't have that same type of issue. So it's kind of interesting. I would have to, I don't know how much you can change that over time if I found ways to work on that, but you know, yeah. everyone's got some type of limitation to what their body's sure. do. Yeah, like, and sidekicks, I do use them and I like them, uh, but I can't, it's hard for me to get height. Like I can get to the, I'm also taller, so like I can get the torso, chest and, and the leg, but like I'm not doing the Shawn Michaels sweet chin music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I can, I can do the round kicks to the head. Um, like that's no problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, same, yeah, same here. Like that. Yeah, head kick with the round kick, no big deal. But uh, yeah, a little tougher with sidekicks. <laughs> we'll switch a little bit. Um, you see, you're a baker by trade. So how has that affected your diet? <laughs> uh, well, I reached my all-time high weight. I think of like 223 or so in January. Uh, and I'm back down to like 210 now. Um, but perfect world. I would like to walk around under 200, 195. So mm. right now I got my spreadsheet going, just losing one pound a week. Uh, I'll be there, I think, by the end of the year, beginning of next year and then i'll just stay there you know i think yeah. i just keep my new normal under 200 and then it's easy to maintain you know it's just losing it's a little more work but mm -hmm. um i mean when i was actively fighting and training the, the last few years between fights i would always be below i never got to 200 i was always 195 at the most and then i'd only have to lose 10 pounds of fat over fight camp to get to 185 and then fight 170 um so you know if i'm within a few pounds of what i used to be when i was competing like that's good and that just gives me comfortability if I do want to get back into fighting on some big hill to climb. And I just feel better if I don't have as much to move around all the time. Um, right. But uh, for the most part, the nice thing about what I do bake is that uh, everything I do, I, I make up to the point where I would bake it and then I freeze it. And most of my items, either you bake at home or you just have to thaw them out. And so like everything's froze. So like, it's not like I can immediately just take food. Like I have to, I'm like two hours away from food. So it's not as tempting. Um, I do sell ice cream now though. So sometimes I just sneak ice creams that I make. 
So those ones, I do steal ice cream, but I don't steal the pies very often because it takes too long. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that helps. But usually when I'm making stuff, you know, there's extra, there's extra filling or whatever that before I scrape it down, I always get a little, <laughs> it right. doesn't help. Yeah. But I know for myself, like when I was training, like at the Warriors Cove uh, or when I was in Detroit Lakes at the gym there, just, I would be like 190, 192. And then when I would move somewhere where I didn't have access to an MMA gym, I would creep up to like 202-ish. Yeah. And this past spring, summer, I, I got my way back down even without actively being at an MMA gym. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that the heaviest I got was like 205-ish and just chasing bigger numbers with the strength training and it's like you're bulking it's like no you're just getting fat <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> um but then yeah i i realized like since i kept hitting the same ceilings with this the lifts like i would hit the same poundage range for and a lot of different lifts so it's like okay i've got to go back to fix some weaknesses yeah and, and I've enjoyed that style of training a lot more like, and, you know, lifting heavy is super fun, done it, whatever, but I'm, I'm focused a lot more on just articulation and small muscle stuff and trying to, okay. you know, the way I call it, just fix my issues. <laughs> sure. Like range of motion type things and strength yeah. at the range of motion. Yeah. Well, and the big thing with flexibility from what I know too, is like your, your body only lets your itself move as far as it has strength to support so if you can build that strength at yeah. the end range of motion you'll be able to lift your leg that much further for example so i have i have uh, the best short story here and maybe you already heard it but was there a gentleman named dagger chris dagger training yep. at the coke near there navy seal right huge yep. guy like brock lesnar size guy yeah uh, which is rare for navy seal they're usually real small because they do so much running you know mm -hmm. um but uh, I was, even this is all these years ago, I was still trying to work my flexibility at the time. And I was working on my splits and everything. And I was telling him like, I just don't know if I'm ever gonna really improve my, my split. It's like, when I get to my maximum distance, it feels so tight. The tendons feel so tight. Like, I don't think they can go any farther. Uh, and he's like, no, no. It's like, everyone's flexible. Like when you pick up a dead body, the limbs just go everywhere. Like everyone has the flexibility. It's just that your body is tightening everything up to protect it. And to him, that was such a natural, uh, such a natural metaphor. Yeah, you know, you pick up a dead body and the limbs <laughs> just go everywhere. I'm like, Dager, I, <laughs> I haven't picked up any dead bodies. <laughs> this is not <laughs> so, but that was totally normal to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't get to train with him a lot, but some. Um, so, but yeah. He, he was the best. I, I just remember, I remember one day it was, an instructor's class we were doing bottom mount escape and i was like a blue belt at the time which is maybe approximately almost purple belt in jiu-jitsu right. um but like you know he's like 250 or whatever and we did we must have done almost an hour just on you know not just upa but main, sorry shrimp escape from bottom and i had to have this and i was fighting 155 i got this 250 pound guy on top of me for an hour doing shrimp yeah. escape shrimp and that and it was so exhausting but like i felt like i really improved so much in that the instructor's class helps a lot of just fine-tuning sure. and we're going to stick with it till everyone gets it and yeah. different than a normal class because you got more dedicated people in there when when i reached out to you you said you're you're pretty much retired from mma can you talk about the decision process from that yeah the winding down um the main there's a few factors the main number one factor is my wife and i 
we started getting real serious about trying to get pregnant and we got licensed for foster care uh, at the same time. And so at any point in time tomorrow, boom, the, the state could just give us two kids that we are in charge of to watch. And so I'm just trying to like order my life where I'm ready for this change. Mm-hmm. And if I'm actively pursuing all, you know, so much of my energy and time on competing in MMA, which is really just a passion, I'm not going to get to the UFC and support my life. And even if you get to the UFC, you're not gonna do it the rest of your life. Right. So it's not a lifelong thing. It's just a passion and fun for me. Like, am I being the most responsible husband and potential father if I'm spending this much time when I could be spending that time trying to build a bakery so we can afford to, you know, homeschool our kids and not have to both work full time and that kind of thing. That's kind of our goal is to be able to homeschool our kids. And maybe my wife and I each work 30 hours a week and have this extra 10 hours to help with the kids and not have to pay for babysitters and to always um, to, to do all of that. Um, so that's what kind of one of the main decisions was just kind of phases of life changing. And, you know, part of it was at the time yeah, I, had, I had been knocked out maybe twice in a two year period, which for people that fight a lot, like most people are not worried at all. Like they get knocked out and they're in the gym the next week. And I, that's just not very, I don't think that's very intelligent, right. <laughs> but I'm thinking, oh, does this going to stop me from fighting? No. But if I were to get knocked out again, then I'd have to think about, you know, how long of a break I'm going to take between fights you know, how much do I need to step down the competition so I don't have that risk for a while and then come back or, or whatever it is. Um, so that was like part of it in the back of my head. I just, I, you have no idea what kind of brain damage you're getting. And some people, they might genetically get almost none for being knocked out a lot. And some people, they might have a lot of damage from a subconcussive event. Um, I haven't felt really any symptoms. Like I'm very forgetful but I have no idea. I can't remember if I was always like that <laughs> or if it's getting worse or if it's just naturally as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. But really, I've never had headaches or other things. So like, hopefully I don't have a lot, but that, that's part of it too. I just, I would like to make sure that I not pay the rest of your life, yeah. long-term price for it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I really would like to, to fight again, you know, in, in, in the back of my head right now, my theory is I, I stick with Olympic lifting for, maybe another year, year and a half or so, maybe till I'm 37, 38 um, or so, then maybe I, I start hitting back hard martial arts training focused for two years straight and then have a fight or two um, at, at age 40. Like I, I always wanted to have a fight at age 40 and beat up a 20 year old. I thought that'd be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> And if I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe show you sometime. <laughs> exactly. Right. Cause there's plenty of fair matchups you can make, you know, a young up and coming 20 year old. Yeah. At that time I'd be a Brazilian jitsu black belt with 20 years experience, but they're just, but a lot of young guys, like, but you're 40. So I'll fight you. And that's fair matchup. They got this cardio and strength of a 20 year old, but I have the experience of a 40 year old black belt. Like that's fair. It's interesting matchup. Um, so I'm sure we could make those kind of fights. Um, it's just the main thing is by then how many kids do I have mm-hmm. how much time is that taking but I, re- I think with my wife's support or help like I could make a three-month fight camp happen like there's no reason I couldn't dial back my bakery for a little bit and and make a fight camp happen so I would like to make that but um mm-hmm. at the very minimum I'll be doing jiu-jitsu competitions um eventually so yeah so I was going to ask about your goals for like martial arts or weightlifting, but you kind of covered that. So do you have goals for the, the bakery business? Um, it's yeah, I, they're not super well-defined as far as a certain uh, number of sales per year or anything like that. 
Mr. But, Spreadsheets doesn't have well-defined goals. I, well, I, I do, but it's, a, it's so much unknown. So I, I have like small goals of compared to last year, I want, you know, this 50% mm -hmm. increase this first year. And then if I can just get 20% the next year and then 10% each year after that, like those would be some decent numbers. Um, really, I need, I need, my next phase would be hopefully over this next year, I get enough demand to the point where I can't meet demand with my own output. And then I need a part-time employee. So hopefully within two years, I can create enough demand for my product that it makes sense to hire a part-time employee and then eventually maybe get to a full-time employee or two. That would be like long-term goals. If you have one or two full-time employees, like that's a pretty, in my mind, being a small business guy, that's a pretty decent, successful business. If you can employ one or two full-time people, like that'd be a lot of sales in the pie world, especially for being a specialty bakery like me, where it's just pies for the most part. Mm -hmm. There's only a few bakeries like that in the Twin Cities that only do pie. Um, so, uh, that would be, that would be good success for me, but there's also a chance that I find that I enjoy like working by myself. And if I can just make, you know, somewhere around, or if I can make it a decent amount that I'm comfortable with working 30 hours a week and not having to worry about someone quitting or having to fire them or all these issues you have when you have staff. Um, or, just, sick or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I might just, there's a chance that I just never hire anyone I just get comfortable and um if demand is too high then I raise the price three bucks <laughs> and then yeah. demand goes down and we find the equilibrium so mm -hmm. not sure yet yeah okay uh, I think that's about what I had for questions so uh, if you want to check Ben out is Ben is your website Ben, ben the Baker yeah www.benthebaker.com and uh it's a pretty funny uh commercial that uh Kind of videographer uh ian connell from the cove helped um help make so uh that that pops up right away it's pretty funny i got in the baker's hat and uh, we got some interesting stuff going on there's there's actually two commercials on this you check them out but yeah i have all my all my pies that i make i always have usually at least 10 varieties in stock people can pick up anytime but especially with the holidays coming up um you get a couple uh pies for for the holidays and you don't have to make any yourself so yeah, way so to go check them out and thanks for being on the show <laughs> Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. It was fun.